0: As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you've lived very long in a world filled with Christians, you probably at some point in time have had someone say, I'm praying for you. And most all the time that's pretty meaningful to us to know something, to know someone is taking us before God the Father. But what if you had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ himself? And what if you heard him say, I'm praying for you? What if you were in a room and you heard God the Son mention your name to our Heavenly Father? That is not a hypothetical scenario. That is what is happening in John 17. That's almost enough to just stop right there. If we know like, okay, Jesus is praying for us. We have tons of questions, but it's almost enough to just know Jesus is praying for disciples like me. I'm going to be okay, but I get curious and I want to dig deeper into John 17 and say, if Jesus is praying for disciples like me, then what is he praying for? What is he talking to God about? For our benefit. And so we're going to overhear Jesus in his conversation with the Heavenly Father. And we're not being rude because someone actually took notes on that conversation that Jesus was having with the Father. And they recorded it, and here we are. So let's listen in. But let's just make sure we have a moment to take in the backdrop here. Jesus is in a room an evening with with the followers before, the evening before he was betrayed, the weekend that he died for us is when all of this is happening. And now he's praying to God, the Father, even as we are listening. So do you have verse 13 again? Sean read it a moment ago, but but let's go back to it. It says in verse 13, Jesus speaking to the Father, now I'm coming to you. And these things I'm speaking in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Notice what he says, I'm coming to you. So Jesus's physical location is changing. Jesus is Changing his location. He will not be present in the same ways he was before. He is actually going to be with the Father, and we've noticed that although he is leaving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is going to be present with us. And Jesus is saying these things to them in light of that change. He says, I'm speaking to you these things while I'm in the world, while I'm with you. And his real goal is that he is telling him, like, I want to be a constant source for joy for you. I want you to have my joy. Jesus is saying, I want, to ha- I want you to have my joy in your life. And I was just thinking, like, you may have had to fight really hard for joy over the last several months. You may still be fighting very, very hard because there's so many difficult circumstances weighing in on your joy but it should make a difference for you that one of the things on Jesus's mind is your joy, that his joy would be in you. On on a night when Jesus was going to be betrayed, on the weekend that he was going to be executed, he is thinking about you being filled with joy. He's thinking about you having the same level of joy that he has, the same experience, the same emotions, the same benefits of overflowing joy that he has even as he's looking at something very, very difficult. So let's keep reading. Jesus is talking to his disciples. In verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus wants us to know what's going on from God's perspective. He says, I've given you disciples, I've, I've given you God's word And here's the struggle, the expectation that we can have is that we're living in a world that is hostile. And it's not because followers of Jesus just draw random arbitrary lines and take unnecessary stances. That's not why Jesus recognizes it's going to be difficult for Christians. It's because Jesus says, you're not of the world. You actually have your roots. If you're followers of his, you have your roots in a different place than this world. You're not of the world. You're from a different place. And sometimes where you come from, when you come from a different place, it sometimes means you're not treated the same as people who come from the location where you're living. We're not of the world. Got to be really, really careful. As we define the world, when Jesus says you're not of the world, what does that mean? What is of the world? Well, we're talking about We're talking about a realm, we're talking about systems, we're talking about a worldview, we're talking about individuals who are opposed to God. We're talking about a world that uninvites God to the discussion. Thanks, but we don't want to hear from you. That's the world. The world seeks to silence God's voice on anything and everything. The world is a place that is opposite of truth an opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, an opposite of the ways of Jesus, an opposite of the message of the cross. The world is anything that kind of makes God's ways look out of touch, foolish, useless, or maybe even downright dangerous. That's the world. And Jesus is reminding His disciples, you're not from the world. You're not of that. That's not where your roots are. And because of that, you're not coming from the place where lots of people around you are coming from. If the world has decided, and clearly it has, if the world has decided, here's how we're going to define success around here. If the world has decided how we should define love. If the world has decided... We can shape our own identity however well we please. If the world has decided that we can just rest in our own individuality, in our own independence, if the world has decided we don't need a creator, we don't need a master, we don't need a Lord, we don't need a Savior, if the world has decided all of that, you know, you know, right? A Christian message is not going to land very well, except for an absolute miracle of a changed heart, and only God can do that. Disciples, disciples face a world that was hostile to Jesus and will be hostile to his followers. So how do we handle that? Well, I mean, one answer that sometimes we think is, you know what, if the world's gonna be so hostile to me, then I think I better just isolate myself from the world. I I better, you know, like, is that the answer? Our, Our followers of Jesus, maybe we should just like get out of here and ask the Lord to get us out of here if it's going to be so hostile. And Jesus says, no, that's not the path you're going to walk. It's not isolation. There's something I'm going to do, Jesus reminds us, by leaving you in the world. Instead, Jesus prays. Listen to how he prays. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them or protect them from the evil one. The request, the first request in today's passage is one of protection. Jesus prays for protection. Why? Because there is an external threat. There is an evil one. This is a hostile environment. We should come to realize that we will not survive without help. You're not, and I'm not going to be the hero of this story of our spirituality, of our faith not as we walk with Jesus, we need help. And only the prayers of Jesus are going to cause us to be safe. It's not going to be just about my determination, my strategies, my outsmarting the evil. And that's not what it's going to be about. It's going to be about Jesus coming to our aid and protecting us. Think about the protection we need. I don't know. I mean, this is just, it seems like Jesus says, keep them, but there's so many ways we could fill in. Like he's praying for protection from, my goodness, from discouragement or doubt that could just totally wipe us out. So you get some critical diagnosis. You get, you get cancer. Your spouse has Alzheimer's. You're, you're dealing with loneliness, maybe even during this pandemic. And in the place of all that discouragement and doubt, he's praying, protect them, protect them, Father, that they, that they actually would have encouragement come their way, that they, they might be filled with all joy and peace and believing, protect them. Father, protect them from deception because we know that the evil one is just a father of lies and he will plant things in our heart to get us off track protect them lord there's so much there's so much people that are so many people that are peddling all sorts of things and it's hard to discern like what's truth here and jesus comes to our defense and says father protect them keep them lord where there is deception and error give them give them an understanding of the truth protect them protect them from division. I mean, we know how fractured our world is. That's not hard to see, but that can creep into the people of God, the brothers and sisters that we've been made one in Christ, but how easily we could divide. So Jesus is praying, protect them, keep them together. Let them be different here. Protect them, protect them from distraction. My goodness, we could fill our lives with endless, meaningless things. We could do it all day. There's so many things that are just worthless that could take our attention for hours. Protect them. Keep them focused on the things that are going to matter forever. Protect them from defeat and destruction. I think of peer pressure, and that's not just like, yeah, middle schoolers need to really be on guard because it's a hard world out there. It's like all of us, right? So much pressure to think a certain way because that pressure keeps coming and coming. Protect them. Protect them. Keep them safe. Give them ways of escape. Give, them, give us light in our blindness. Discipline when we get off track. Give us relief when we're bowed down with oppression. Give us hope when we are at the end of our rope. Jesus knows that the evil one wants to devour us, and he is glad to pursue a quick attack or a long, slow war of attrition. It does not matter to him. He wants to destroy us, and so Jesus is praying for us. And what struck me even this morning as I was Kind of thinking through Jesus praying these things is our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, they both know us in and out. So when Jesus is praying for me to be kept safe, He knows all of my fears. He knows all of my strengths. He knows all of my weaknesses. He knows all of my vulnerabilities. He knows all my doubts. And He prays perfectly for me. Curtis Hill, and he prays perfectly for you to be held, to be kept safe. Your Savior is praying for you, and I hope you have that kind of assurance today. I hope you know that. You have been prayed for. That's why a passage like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 could be so helpful to maybe even memorize that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Or maybe we need to be reminded of 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, be sober-minded, be alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. He is looking for whom he can devour, but you can resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. He himself will restore and establish and strengthen and support you after you've suffered a little while, even if we're sifted like Peter, Jesus is praying for us and we will not be destroyed. Jesus prays for our protection, but I want you to see how he prays for us in another way. And you think about this, all right? It's not hard to imagine. If we know, if you know, I know, okay, we're going to be hated by the world because our roots are not here, then maybe we just, maybe we can get some relief by blending in. Maybe if we don't talk so different, look so different, have values that are so different, maybe that will mean we don't experience quite the hatred that we would. So maybe we're tempted to find a way to improve our favorability rating with the people that we're around. Maybe if we just do this, don't do that, say this, not say that, maybe we won't have to look that different. Jesus anticipates that this may be a defense mechanism we might have, and he prays some more. Again, he's praying for you, and that's why in verse 16, he, he reminds us, they, meaning us, we're, we're not of the world just as Jesus was not of the world. But then he prays this, and I want you to hear this. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The second request in today's passage Jesus is praying for contrast. He is praying for us to look different. He is praying for the Father to, and the word he uses is sanctify, which maybe that's an unfamiliar word to you, or maybe you've heard it in church, but you're not sure exactly what it means. He's, He's praying basically, cause my followers to be set apart. Let there be a contrast between them and the world. Keep them dedicated, mark them off for a different purpose. Sanctify them. And so how will the disciples, how will you and I as followers of Jesus be sanctified, be kind of marked off, set apart for a different purpose, for God's designs? What will cause us to be set apart? He says sanctify them by means of the truth. Your word is truth. So if we're sanctified by God's word, the truth, that's going to mean we are going to be contrasted from the world. Here's what I mean. And, and take a moment, hang, hang with me here. There is some word, some words, some message, some story, some way of seeing stories, some set of truths, some set of values that make sense to you. And it forms how you see this world. And the things you meditate on, the things you daydream about, the news you digest, the hobbies you play at, the marketing messages that get your attention, the gossip you listen to, the articles you read, the posts you click on, there are things that just ring true to us. Like, oh, that's the way a person ought to see the world. That word is powerful to you. And all of those things that you take in, all those things over time shape us. And we start giving our time to Things that make sense to us, we start giving our money to priorities that we have. We make decisions based on kind of all this stuff we've taken in. We we pass it along. We're glad to tell others. Here's here's what I've been reading lately. Here's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. Here's you know what I just I read this thing. I saw this video. I, I I'm going to share it because I, I think you'd be interested. And we begin to pass that along. It forms a direction. We begin to kind of grow and settle on our confidences based on this. It forms a direction. So we have some word that answers questions to our life. I'm not talking small questions. I'm talking the big questions like, okay, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? Who can we trust that they're going to tell us the truth? How should my conscience be formed? What behavior is okay and what's not okay and what actually is beyond okay what's actually good and what's not good what should i be doing who am i what is my real identity why am i here why is the world so messed up how is it going to get better what What decision should I make here in this instance? Okay, where do I fit in with this group of people? Who do I belong to? What's the bigger story that just makes sense of the world that I'm looking at? Answering all of those questions. Hear this. It forms who you are as you answer all those questions. And you don't even realize you're answering them all the time. I don't either. And for the world, there's a way those questions are answered that... There's a way of putting it together that drives those answers. And listen carefully. Here's the contrast. Jesus says that if you are his follower, nothing competes with God's word in driving the answer to all those questions I just asked, all those very important questions I just asked. Nothing competes with God's word. It is the truth. What will change? What will make a contrast for disciples of Jesus? Jesus has sanctified them, set them apart by the word. And by that, I don't mean a handful of Bible verses you could quote or a handful of stories that you kind of remember from back in the day. What I'm actually talking about is day after day, week after week, year after year, soaking in God's perspective, God's will, God's ways, God's characteristics, God's decrees, his commands, his instructions, his stories, his guidance. The story of creation, the story of the fall, the story of Israel, the story of redemption, the, restored, the story of new creation where everything gets restored. Soaking in that, soaking in the story of the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus to heaven, the descent of the Holy Spirit into our world, the coming back of Jesus. Forming your life according to that story is going to make a difference. It's going to set you apart as followers of Jesus. We're sanctified by that truth, by absorbing all that. You know, the Bible doesn't speak to maybe 10,000 questions you could think of just like this. The Bible doesn't tell me if I'm having peanut butter and jelly, should I have grape or strawberry? Which should I have? I'm going to go to the Bible. The Bible doesn't do that. But because the Bible doesn't speak to a couple of those questions that you could think of, You shouldn't make the mistake of thinking, yeah, it doesn't speak to much going on in my life. Because at the core of who you are is God's word speaking. I wonder, I wonder, it pushes a question Am I spending time in my day exposing myself to the truth of God's word? so that it could have a sanctifying influence on my life, setting me apart. If Jesus is praying about it, then I should be concerned about it as well. What does that look like? If the Father sent Jesus as the Word, and if one of Jesus' top-shelf priorities was to communicate the words of the Father, then on June 28th, I wake up, and being set apart by means of God's Word coming into my life and influencing me is a priority. And when I wake up on June 29th, it's another priority. And whether you're 13 or whether you're 93, it's a priority if you're a follower of Jesus. And whether it's 2020 or 2025, it's a priority that you are taking in God's word. It's the same if we met Jesus tomorrow. It's the same if he comes back and doesn't come back for another century. Something is going to drive. Something is going to drive how you see the world. You're going to pull it all together and go, I think it makes sense for me to do this. Something is driving that. Is it, is it friends? Is it social media? Is it blogs? Is it hobbies? Is it sports? Is it a news feed? Is it videos? Is it, is it something else? Is there, is there in all of that sufficient time in God's word so that that's driving? I'm not trying to be a legalist, but I am trying to discern, okay, if Jesus is praying for this, is my life situated where I'm getting voices into my life? where other people are speaking God's word into my life. Is that happening? Is that happening at all? Is it happening much? Do I have have that kind of friend? Do I have that kind of voice in my life? And maybe the pandemic changed the easy access where you could talk to friends who care for your spiritual good and would bring God's word to bear. It may have changed your easy access to that, but it hasn't changed your need for that kind of refreshment. If you look around and you go, I, Curtis, I don't find those people. Like, I don't know that I have many voices. I go to, you know, I go to work and I have family, but I don't, I'm not sure I have those kind of voices pouring into me. And frankly, can I ask you to do something about that? Could you take one or two steps to just reach out, think through, okay, who could I reach out to? Because if this is so critical that I'm going to be set apart for God's purposes by means of his word coming into my life and changing everything, then shouldn't it warrant some time thinking through, okay, how can I change this dynamic if it's not happening? Is it worth the work? I want to ask you, is it worth the work for you to discipline yourself to be sanctified by the truth? You say, well, Curtis, if you're talking about, am I reading my Bible every day? Well, no, I tried that and I quit. And I tried it again and I quit and I tried it again. And then I went a little bit further and then I quit. And I go, isn't it worth you trying again? Isn't it worth you spending some time? And, and I think this is one of those situations where you go like, maybe the day shouldn't go by without you trying yet again saying, Lord, I want you to speak to me. So here I am. I'm going to turn on. If, if you're not a reader, I'm going to listen to your word. If, if you are a reader, dig into God's word. Like find a way, find a way to make this happen. I, I think we often find ways, if we really want something to happen, we find ways to make it happen am I exposed to God's word? Is it taking a hold of me? Because when it does, it's so able to break down strongholds. It's so able to correct and convict, to heal, to encourage, to restore. And over time, it begins to make my life a contrast. It's truth. It is like a hammer. It breaks things down. And it is like a flashlight. It shines light on a very dark path. And it is like ointment when something needs to heal and could get infected. And it is like bread and water when we're hungry and we're thirsty. Jesus is praying. And I sense even in his prayer, he's calling us to action, like spend time in my word. I've given it to you. We've heard Jesus' prayer. Yet what I love in this passage is right in the middle of him praying for their protection, right in the middle of him being praying that they would be set apart for his purposes, right? In the middle of that, he reminds the disciples of their mission. He says in verse 18, don't miss it. Verse 18, he says, as you, Father, sent me into this world, I am sending these disciples. He is sending us into this world. So why didn't he just like pull us out of here? It's because there is a world that we are meant to go to. Jesus is been sent into this world. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, to restore people into a right relationship with God and with each other. And if we have the Father's protection, if we're consistently being set apart by means of God's truth dwelling in us, then we follow the path of Jesus. And the follow, following the path of Jesus, He came into this world to save it and to reconcile people who are sinners to the Father. And we are not the saviors, and we are not the reconcilers, but man, we have a message salvation. And we are sent into this world by our Lord and Savior Jesus. He says, you go into this world, and you, by your example, but also by your words, you share this message of salvation. I'm sending you into this world with a message of reconciliation. Although the world can divide in a million ways, Christ can bring us together. It's a message that changes everything our Lord Jesus Christ was sent into this world in love on a mission and hear him clearly. He's sending us into this world in love on a mission. He's not taken us out of it. He's left us in it. You're left for a purpose, shining light in this world, giving, displaying God's glory to those who need to see something that's more meaningful than what they're seeing right now. To tell this message to people who would be destroyed if it weren't for God saving them. To be vehicles of love and reconciliation where there's strife and everything just ripped apart. So good news, church. In the midst of everything you might be dealing with, in the midst of a thousand difficult things you might be processing. You have the words of Jesus in John 17. And he's not just talking, he's praying. And he's praying for disciples like you and me. Can we go to our heavenly father just like Jesus did? Let's pray. Father, how encouraging it is to hear the one who bled and died for us take time to pray for us thank you for the reminder this morning that we mattered to you and we mattered to him. So the prayers that he prayed, we still need them today. We still need protection. And today we still need to be set apart by your word, forming us where there's a contrast, where there's a difference. And the difference is a one that points people to how good you are and how great you are and how wise you are and how strong you are and how right you are and how just you are. So Lord, let our lives, let the lives of Ogletown Baptists be lives that reflect that contrast in ways that draw people to the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. What more can we say to you than We are so grateful to you, our Heavenly Father, and we are so grateful to Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for all that you've done for us, and we ask all this in his name. Amen.